Welcome to Groove Therapy, the premier podcast exploring the intersection between live music and health and wellness with experts Dr. Leah Taylor and Tara Lee Weathers. In this podcast, you will learn how live music positively affects well-being through a combination of scientific research and personal experience from your hosts, favorite musicians, industry professionals, and fans like you. Also included are strategies to incorporate the benefits of live music into your everyday life. I'm Tara Lee, and I am so excited for you all to dive into this episode because it is so interesting and inspiring, and it's going to open your mind to how live music can be used for healing in a new and interesting way. And I'm just so excited for you to hear that. And our guest is Jason Hahn, and he is a percussionist and a DJ. He's a member of the band String Cheese Incident and also a former member of the band Yoto. He released a solo album in 2005 called Rhythm Sphere Volume 1 Dejembe Furia. Han also has an electronic DJ side project known as Profit Massive. So as you can see, he's done so many amazing things. And I'm really excited for you to get to hear this side of him too, because he shared a lot of things that I actually have never known about him. And so I'm excited for you all to hear that. But before we dive into that interview, let's take a moment to arrive in the here and now. So if it's available to you, put your hands on your heart and close your eyes and take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale out your mouth. Inhale through your nose and exhale out your mouth and inhale through your nose and exhale out your mouth. And may our time together be filled with magic and inspiration. And so it is. And so it is. Yay. Well, I am super excited for all the listeners to hear this interview as well. It was really inspiring. It definitely got me thinking about some things that have been in my head about live music. And we get to kind of explore those a little bit more even after the interview too. So I'm excited to see like where the seeds of this interview go towards in the form of additional episodes, as well as maybe some like collective consciousness events for groove therapy to see what we can do. We'll need some partners for that, but... <laughs> uh, yes, I'm I loving that some idea people. so much. Yeah, <laughs> we know some people. Or if you're listening out there and you're like, I know a way I can partner with you, reach out to us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the episode with Jason. Yes, you're all in for a treat. And we'll be right back. All right. And we are back and we have our guest with us now, the amazing Jason Hahn. Hello. How are you? Hey, Charlie. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah. Well, I am super excited about this conversation and you sent us a little bit about kind of what you wanted to talk about, but what it really seemed to me is like a big part of it was that how music can be really used as a healing tool in so many different ways. And you have done so many 
things around that. So one of the things that really stuck out to me was how you worked with African musicians who used a drum to actually heal the people of the village that were sick or perceived as insane. And I want to know so many things about that. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you as much as I know, I I have definitely been around uh, musicians who play, I guess, drums in particular, but also within musical either celebrations or ceremonies where there's other melodic instruments involved. But because I study mostly drums, that's going to be the the perspective that I have. And um, wow, for me, it's an area that I haven't dove into as much as like particularly trying to study to be a healer in that sense, beyond learning a lot of the rhythms that go along with ceremony. If I've been involved in ceremony, it's usually someone else from like the the village or the the community that's actually leading it. Or if if the drummer is not leading it, sometimes there's a priest that leads the ceremony from how the entire community is involved in it. But it's a constant communication between, say, like uh, the priest and the drummer. For instance, when I was in Haiti in the in the mid nineties, that was right after they had elected their first democratic president, Aristide, at the time. And it was a mix of things because it just happened within uh, a few months. And I was down there, and because the dictatorship was so bad before, even the musicians that I was with, who were part of they were part of the revolution in Haiti. They still had to whisper in restaurants to have a conversation. But at the same time, one of the things that opened up down in Haiti, and again, with a group that I was with, a group called Bukman Experience, that was the name of the group. The leader of that group made a really, or a big part of that group was to encourage the people of Haiti to have their traditional music as their form of expression. So uh, down in Haiti, the religion is called Voodoo with an N at the end. And it has so many different conceptions than the voodoo that you think about. And Voodoo in Haiti is this beautiful religion that has its roots in, in Africa. And it does involve some of the darker things as far as you can mix different parts of, say, like a plant or herbs or something and do something pretty diabolical with it. But there's a whole nother side to Voodoo that's full of art and music and symbolism for one of the most beautiful cultures that I've seen. And so it would be the difference between like, if the only thing that you knew about Christianity was movies like The Omen (laughs) or satanic (laughs) movies. If you only saw satanic movies about, you know, where depending on how you feel about it, there's also all kinds of art. You have, you know, artists like Gaudi that might be associated with there where they, they spend their whole lives dedicated to, you know, the beautiful part of that. And so I found the, the same thing in learning about voodoo culture in Haiti, that it, incredibly beautiful religion and form of expression. So one of the things when I was down there is this group, Bukman Experience, was encouraging the Haitian people to go into their voodoo roots. And part of that, while I was down there, was they took me up to this mountain for a ceremony. And it, it was an area that hadn't been, they, they wouldn't even let white people up there, let alone to see a ceremony go down. And that was, 
that was the biggest difference between seeing music as I'd been part of ceremonies before, musical ceremonies before, but this was just so incredibly powerful. You know, things were were definitely happening up there. And I got a chance to play a little bit, but at some point I was just like, no, I just want to, I just want to watch and observe because it's such a incredible, unique opportunity to see the purest form of this expression. What were some of like the different characteristics like between the ceremonies that you had participated in before and what you're witnessing here? I've been part of some Santeria, Santeria ceremonies. That's a um, Cuban religion. And some of those were, they were definitely ceremonial and they were a little bit more like in somebody's home, which was cool. I was a lot more active with playing music, playing the bata drums for it. And it just, it felt like there was something more of a family vibe. Everyone knew each other. It felt like it turned into a, part, a big musical party, which was beautiful. And then there were some possession there and for at least from from my perspective and having known some of the people and some of the dancers that were there and some of the musicians sometimes i couldn't necessarily delineate between is it a character that i knew or if it was somebody that was really possessed and going through it because sometimes at certain parties you'll hire sometimes famous dancers from the area because that helps bless the party you also see an amazing, you know, dancer do their thing, but they're not necessarily the one that gets possessed for how they explain it. So it was just it was a little bit hard for me to like, oh, is this this is where the thing is happening now? This is where <laughs> we're playing for a dancer, and I hadn't done a ton of them, a ton of those to really know the difference. I was just enjoying being in the, the atmosphere, and I had my hands full just trying to play the music and and keep up with what I was doing. And then uh, this ceremony in Haiti was just the kind of thing that kind of breaks your mind open as to, you know, the power of what's going on. And it could be because it was so secluded and and hidden in the mountains for so many years. They wouldn't let anybody outside their community up in that area. So that could have, you know, something to do with it. But I, I was, there's definitely deeper stories that happen up there. But as far as like, really breaking the mind open to the possibilities of how powerful music is, how powerful drumming is, and seeing that and what I what I had experienced as the the most powerful and um, useful form to that community. It wasn't for like a party or it wasn't for a celebration of a landmark of of a person per se. It was like the whole community getting together and seeing what was going on and have the priest interpreting the messages that were happening in the moment. Yeah. So everyone just showed up. Like it wasn't for a particular reason. It was just like, let's see what's going on in this community. And if there's anything that or anyone who needs to be healed or even a community healing that needs to happen, it was just being super present with whatever is happening. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Like there there were going to be the intention is that, okay, you're checking in with the ancestors and seeing what message needs to be sent at the moment, which... I had the impression that they do it a few times a month. Like it wasn't a particular special day to designate, except uh, now all of a sudden you had all these people that were coming up and they they allowed a film crew up. And it, it was pretty momentous for their community that at any point that they were being encouraged to even express themselves in that way because they in the mountains, you know, but, uh, but again, the group that I was with, they were, they were such a strong proponent 
during the whole election about, no, you find, you know, go deeper in your culture, express your culture openly. And whereas before, if you expressed it openly in that way, it would be very easy for the dictator to, you know, shut it down or like automatically that sense of finding your culture was seen as, you know, rebellious against the, the dictator. In that sense, if you were to start, you know, taking pride openly in your culture, that would go against the, the setup for dictatorship in Haiti in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that there's got to be some transition there where it's like, whoa, we've been so closed off and shut up for so long. And now we're being told to open up and bring people in and like show everybody, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, that's something that really needs to be taken care of because now, you, you know, you open too much and maybe that election, you know, there's a coup that happens. And then it's like, now you're really exposed. You've exposed your culture. Exactly. Possibly more. Yeah. It, it was just heavy in that sense. And, and so that's Haiti, for example. And when I was taking lessons down there to learn the music, it was being explained to me so very clearly in terms of both, you know, the feeling of, of what music can do, but a very, very particular techniques where you're dealing with like actual vibrations, not the concept of like, oh, good vibes, you know, you know, Beach Boys, good vibrations or Jamaica, (laughs) everyone's vibing out, you know, it was like very specific. No, we're like different frequencies. Absolutely. And frequencies, not in all kinds of terms, but in particular in Haiti, it would be like you set up frequencies from the drums like very scientifically almost, is that you're, you're setting up frequencies that the body matches in terms of tempo. And then there's certain things that happen during certain songs, depending on what you're singing for, what you're playing for, where all of a sudden the priest will signal to the master drummer and the master drummer might play something on the drum. It's a signal that the drummers know, a, a phrase or something. And then right away it cuts the tempo, like say there's 60 seconds in a minute. There, when you dance to music, sometimes you're dancing to 120 beats per minute, and it's a designation of what a steady tempo is. But then the signal comes in from the master drummer to break that, and all of a sudden you're at a completely different speed. But that little jolt there allows for an opening, <laughs> an opening, and the fun fun begins <laughs> to what that next thing is. And it doesn't doesn't necessarily affect everyone, but the people that might be particularly affected at that time for whatever they're going through allows for a gateway for... they. I'll say in Haiti, they call it to be mounted. And you're mounted by a deity and you, you switch places. The deity that you can't see trades places with the person that you can see. And then that's where, you know, the message comes through a body to the the priest and often a, a language that they're more the priest understands. But uh, it's that's where the information, you know, takes place between the invisible world. Uh, you can see it goes, you know, it can go pretty, pretty far for, you know, as you dive into it. But I've seen it in in enough different cultures where, you know, it's a, a very valid way of of how information used to be transferred between ancestors and their people. Yeah, through music as opposed to like, what do you call those people that talk to the mediums? Like channelers? Yeah. The mediums. Yeah. Right. Which, uh, which I, I, I have valid things about uh, mediums as well. 
but uh, to see it over and over, you know, again, almost at will, like through through music, and and I think it's also part of the community that that you grow up in is because I I think some people are more affected by if your whole culture is surrounded in that and the the whole if you're brought up in a culture where for instance right now your ancestors are just sitting right next to you in the next chair you know watching the interview where it, it's uh, that common then when the uh, music hits especially familiar music everyone knows the dance to and then part of this particular music is it suddenly cuts into this other dance like that's gonna gonna be part of it you just don't know where it's at then you get more and more affected by it like a like if there's a favorite piece of music that you know all right that a good friend of mine actually their mom passed this weekend and uh, i was watching their ceremony on uh on zoom yesterday and they're playing like james taylor's fire and rain and i know she used to play that song and so that i have i have a reference of that being like close to her so it's just something hits you a little bit more when you when you know the significance that's already involved with it. So it's a, it can be the same in culture when your culture is about you know having this type of awareness around you all day but now then the entire community does a, a ceremony for it, you know that this is this music is part of that and maybe what that music might represent a harvest or a rites of passage or something like that. And then you're going through that, then it, it, it might even have that much more of an impact or affect you in a stronger way. Yeah. Do you feel that like, because like we live in the United States and there isn't this, this isn't part of our culture, at least that, I mean, there is in little ways, but do you think that's why so many of us are so obsessed with live music? <laughs> I mean, you could, you could have nailed it. I mean, I think so because where I've heard so many people talk about, you know, going to shows as, you know, their church, you know, is like nothing else is going right for them in life, but they go to shows and they can look around and see all their friends and all of a sudden their either their favorite band is playing and the whole entire music is, you know, is a celebration of that and reminds them of that. And for that, for those moments, they can get to this elevated place that, that does it for them like no other. So I think, you know, it absolutely does that. And, and then I'll say in, in the same way, it's funny because in the 90s, I used to play for like some raves when they used to have them out in the desert, you know, just play congas with a DJ or something like that. But the funny part about that is they hit that beats per minute and it's, you know, and it's going fine and it stays right there for hours and hours and people can just keep dancing. They're sore the next day, but they're, they're, you know, there's a power to that that has your body go through some other kinds of things, you know? Yeah, maybe it gets associated so much with, with drugs and, and escapism and stuff, but even still the, the music is there set at a frequency and it, it's something that I think has grown up through different cultures. It's just a different interpretation of it where it's like, okay, it's it's a DJ scene. Maybe it, uh, it might be a darker scene, but the purpose is still there to play like this energy that people can gather around and you can play almost a, a certain similar tempo all night and it just keeps everything going you, hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. And it creates a trance state. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, Leah, your dissertation, you like... So many people talked about a lot of the things that Jason just talked about and what live music meant to them and oh, wow. even going into the trans state and all that. Did you want to elaborate on that? Since I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that you asked that question because I definitely wanted to see like, okay, what's the parallel that you see? Like you've 
participated in these rituals and in these other countries where it's been really more of a, a ritualized kind of like, this is what they've been doing for long periods of time for healing. And also you play for, you know, thousands of people and you see this taking place like in front of your eyes in this other context. And I absolutely believe that one of the reasons that we're also drawn to this experience of live music is because we crave that. Like, you know, it's in our DNA. It's it's soul medicine to us. You know, like we go there for release. We go there for renewal. The people that I interviewed in my dissertation, the main characteristic of them is that, well, they the only criteria that they had to meet was that they had a transformative experience in live music. But it just so happened that because they had that transformative experience that they kept going back. <laughs> and so, you know, they used it as a regular practice. And what I found was that it was really, you know, whether you call it self-therapy or, you know, self-care or whatever it is, they were using it on a regular basis for release, for renewal. Church was the most common word that came up, uh, right? <laughs> which I was just kind of blown away every time it was mentioned because, you know, I wasn't asking about that, but it was just coming up from them. <laughs> yeah, just the way that, you know, we can connect to other people. It's a full bodied experience, which we really don't experience anywhere else in our life. You know, there's nowhere else where we're just like taken by the vibrations like we are at live music and really consumed it with all of our senses. It's kind of different if we're just listening to recorded music in our headphones, you know, as opposed to like being in a crowd of people, feeling the vibrations that are coming off the electrified music, which I think is a whole new and different experience that we've really, that's only really been around for what, 50 or 60 years. And also, so we're hearing it, we're seeing it, we're feeling it. And we are around so many other people. And it's such a collective experience, actually. So as I said, I had some friends at Mountain Soul Festival that you just played with String Cheese. And one of them posted a comment on Facebook, like things that they heard in the crowd. And the first one was, I felt like we were all just one moving together. Mm. And we've talked about this before. On, oh, yeah, this is my favorite. <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> and what I found in my research was that there is this concept called self-other merging that happens when people are moving in time, especially when people are moving in time together to the beat, same beat of the music. They may be doing different moves, but they're moving to the same beat. And that movement to the same beat with people in the same space begins to blur the lines physically like between their bodies and the other bodies. So all of a sudden you really feel like you're like this one glob of people, which the implications of that is that it creates more compassion towards others, more harmony towards others, which I mean, I think we can all... Yeah, we all fall in love with each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Not only that we've all had that experience, but like how much do we need that experience in our in our society right now to like be able to look at our the neighbor beside us and say, wow, I see me and you and you and me. And therefore, I'm going to be more compassionate towards you. Yes, that's awesome. You see that almost 
every show to a certain extent, you know, groups of people that, that where they're dancing together and they're just in it together and they're just doing, they're right in the same, in harmony and same frequency with each other in the moment. I, another thing that, that I mentioned with Tara Lee when we were talking before was that on the other side of things, in particular, a, a particular African drum teacher that I had from Mali, they were saying that actually in his village, they would explain a sickness in a village more that someone was out of vibration with the rest of the village. And, they, and it was actually his job as a kid. His mom was the, uh, was the herb person and, and the, the shaman of the village. And it was his job as a kid that, you know, if someone was sick, different forms of sickness, but definitely say mentally out of touch with what was going on. You know, someone that was just drifting on, didn't drifting along and didn't, wasn't doing their service to the community or it seems like they're going through something, maybe grieving or something. He would follow them around with his drum and, you know, they're working in the fields and, and the purpose of, of him was to be the doctor in the moment and find something in the playing that the person would respond to and then play that over, like literally bringing bringing a frequency factor together between what he was playing, the sounds, the frequencies, the tones of the drums, but also the speed of the drum with same frequencies or same definition of frequency. And he would watch their, their body movement. They didn't necessarily have to be dancing. You just see how someone's comfort level around what was going on. And if he would find that, sometimes it could take days, sometimes it could take weeks. But when they would get together back as a community, then maybe that person would have their own new rhythm. And then the rest of the community would dance to that rhythm and that as a way of bringing that person, you know, back in. So whether it was sickness, you know, like flu or really, really anything, that was like his gig. It, it's funny because later on he would become a chemist because at some point he was trying to, you know, just going through the school system. He, he's like, oh, you know, education, get a job, science and do all that. And got, I forgot, he went to Canada to get his chemistry degree, but then ended up going back to drumming <laughs> because he sort of thought that that was a more powerful and more, more defined usage. Of, you know, the drum became his science as well. So, yeah. I love that so much of thinking that when somebody is sick in whether it's physically sick or mentally sick or whatever it is, that they're out of vibration and that is the community's job to bring them back into vibration. We don't do that here in the United States. When somebody is especially mentally ill, we kind of discard them and it's this solo journey for them where it's like, no, we need to take care of each other and they're just out of vibration. We need to bring them back together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and to do that by meeting them where they are. I, yeah. I love that as opposed to wow. saying, you need to come back to our vibration. Like, right. the, and sure. so I love that you brought in that he studied chemistry because I was thinking to myself, like the way our modern medicine is, it's like, it's very structured and it's like, okay, this is the cure for this. And, and it's always the same, you know, it's like, I mean, there are multiple drugs, but actually what I thinking about was the frequencies because I've heard that different organs have different frequencies. So, but each 
organ is the same as far as I know, and I am not an expert in any of this, <laughs> but it felt like it was a little bit more prescribed. Like this frequency goes with this organ and this frequency goes with this organ. And therefore, if you have a, if you have a disease in one, then we just need to play this frequency. But in your story, he's really taking time to find the person's frequency and like what matches to them. It's not this prescribed thing where he goes in already knowing what needs to happen. It's like he's showing up and being present and really figuring it out in the moment by really watching the person and then taking that back to the larger society to say, okay, this is where they are. And then they're meeting them there to like then bring them back in I mean, yeah, that takes a lot of effort, but oh my gosh, like how intentional and how beautiful is that? Because it just feels like so much more effective in the long term than trying to put some other prescribed thing that might not be relevant to them or match them where they are. And then it's like, it doesn't really work. And it's a, and it's a, the way the society is set up, you know, it's not a mega city with, you know, where you don't see each other all day. You're working with each other anyways, in some form, you know, in like the field, you got to come, you know, you got to have some place to to sleep and interact, you know, with everyone else, you know, it's out in the bush still. So it's, there's so many factors that even allow for that to happen, you know, so it, it's so impactful and a lot of the community recognizes it sort of right away. And they, you know, it goes into that mode where like, okay, this is, this is the son. He's going to try with this before maybe she tries with herbs and maybe it's not all hundred percent full uh, cure, like curing cancer or anything like that. But it's like, you go through the process and the entire community knows, oh, here's our process. And then when you, you mix into the fact that, um, they have uh, their own music regionally, what's going on and, and some of the things we discussed before where the intentions go, I can't say a longer way, but you know, as individuals, we have our intentions about something, we want something to happen. So we're like, okay, you know, try to manifest a certain thing. But, it, but when the whole community is in that mode and the commodity in the community is the relationship between one another, then some of those intentions as, you know, the group music, the group thought can be really powerful just because of the way the, the society is set up. Where that's, that's not something that, that is thought of, you know, meeting them there and bringing them back in is thought of more like, this is how we're going to do this. And, and everyone realizes that versus like, go see that doctor, go see that doctor, you know, <laughs> which is partly out of necessity because all, all they've got is each other. But it, it does set itself up to do it in their society and have that profound of an, an impact. Yeah. And I think that's an important point to make. Like the, the environment is very different, you know, where they are as opposed to where we are. Yeah. So how do we do it here? <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I wish. Can you solve this in the next couple of minutes? <laughs> Our world problems. I feel like that's actually like a place for music festivals. And Jason, yeah. I know you've been involved in a lot of different music festivals, like Strange Cheese puts on amazing music festivals. That's an opportunity for us to come together as a tribe and like really help each other. You know, I mean, it's set up however many days it is and tends to be definitely a deeper connection between people who are there 
compassion towards people that are there and really like caring for the people that are there. And I see it as our opportunity to to share knowledge, which, you know, festivals nowadays, like whether they have vendors or now they have like healing. Like I was just at a... What was your festival in July that I'm totally blanking about? Uh, or June? Uh, Hog Farm. Hog Farm. Yeah. So I was at yeah. Hog Farm Hideaway and I was part of the healing sanctuary. Like I led uh. a, a dance class there and there was sound healing. And it's an opportunity for people to experience, especially in the jam scene, because it's a little different than like the electronic music scene, which has been bringing in kind of these healing modalities actually even more. And now it's like, we're kind of kind of bringing it into the jam scene and people are kind of like, I don't know about this, but I'm going to go check it out because it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> but I, f- I feel like music festivals are our opportunity to really like create that tribe, create the healing that can happen when people come together with a combined focus and purpose. And, you know, I don't know, maybe we just like find our own commune and do it all the time, but... I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it seems like it's it's really set up for that. I remember some of the, the older like Hornings Hideout events. There'd be all these activities during the day. And that I'd let a couple of sort of drum circles. They seem to be a little more in the sort of teaching, you know, people doing uh, talk presentations, which was really cool. Maybe they would have a yoga thing in the morning. A lot of, it seems like a lot of the jam festivals that at least have that kind of gathering, you know, in the morning. And if there's a musician that is awake, maybe they're playing for the, the, uh, <laughs> the yoga class or hasn't turned in yet. I used to play for these events in the 90s in, in the Venice area. They would call them, I guess it would be comparable to like the ecstatic dance type of events yes. that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it'd be all live musicians and there'd be someone that was usually kirtan singer or someone that was a yoga instructor just reading poetry or kind of guiding class and, and we played music and there's no alcohol. And it was nice because it, it was cool to have a, a space set aside that was so different for like, I guess, getting things out or just being in a different environment, you know, get, getting out of your work environment. And But yeah, different from a yoga class where someone's not like particularly instructing you to do something, you know, there's uh, just some freedom to relate to the music, how, however you wanted to relate. And it was okay to make noise and, you know, be you uniquely there. I like those a lot. And, um, and I remember those were really different from than me being on a stage and which is an awesome other experience, but just set up with a, with a different sort of purpose and intention, like what you were talking about. Yeah, it sounds like my embodied groove classes where there's there's yeah. live musicians that are playing and the music is created in service of the movement. So it's not about the performance of the music, it's actually in service and I have a flow that I've created but it's all it's all created in the moment and it's never the same, but it is in service to the movement. Do you do that in uh, San Francisco or in the I do it in the East Bay. Yeah, I have a regular class okay. that I'm going to start in San Rafael and then I do it at at music festivals. And sometimes even before music or during set break. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's great. I think all of that is is a start to... You're doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're doing it. That's, that's really great to hear. I would say at festivals, you've got people already with the intention of like, going to see your best friends, going to have a different experience. This is the one that's you know going to be blown away by whatever music coming at them. And then all of a sudden they get there and they're able to have even another different experience 
like, oh, what, what's going on in that tent over there? You know, singing bowls or or some meditation. So who are the guys that... Uh, there's these guys that used to go around with um, really big gongs. Oh, yeah. I remember of that. Do you, I don't remember the name of how they would set up. Maybe like sound bath or something like that. Or, yeah. They had the gong sanctuary. Danny... I don't remember his last name, but he's been doing it for a long time. But he was at Hog Farm Hideaway in the oh, healing. Cool. That's right. That's right. It was a, very cool. Yeah. And I mean, he had probably like 12 people there and they all had different instruments, gongs and bowls oh, wow. and chimes and everybody would just lay down. And I mean, how amazing is that? It's because it's like the live music is so activating right it's very activating to your nervous system and it's like fun and you're you know you're moving and you're grooving and it's like woo yeah and there's like lights and there's people <laughs> talking there's like so much going on it's very sensory so yeah. activating but then to be able to balance that in the morning if you're able to wake up and get to it just lay yourself on the floor <laughs> to oh, be yeah. able to like really calm and soothe your nervous system like we we really we need that balance to sustain yeah at Halloween they had that after they had it at the end of the night and that's where I went after like I danced around I was like because after you dance and like okay so Jason when you put on like an epic show and it's so amazing and we're all like whoa and then we're supposed to go to bed like how are we (laughs) gonna do that (laughs) it's not happening so it was really nice to have that to kind of like reset me so I am able to like find calm and be able to go to sleep yeah, that's awesome. That and again, those those giant gongs, they back to frequencies. Those are really low frequencies, you know, being put out. And the same were, let's say, some of the lower frequencies with bass is like you get into the forty hertz or you get into thirty hertz. Thirty hertz starts getting to be where you you can't necessarily hear it. You more feel it. And some of those gongs produce things under that. But those thirty hertz is also. 30 cycles and like so the rhythm of that even though you can't feel it like a a beat it's still something that calls to your body to be just like slow down you know where where if it's a high-pitched grill thing it kind of jolts you a little bit more there's quite a bit of uh, research trying to nail down what maybe can't be explained but you can see that when you get into uh like you're talking about um, in a meditative state, like you're slowing things down. You're just, and then after that, it's what tools do you use to, you know, to go to that state and whether it's the gongs or it's a type of, some people listen to like waves because that's a steady, that's almost, that's a different kind of frequency where it's just like both the sound of the waves because you're near the water and you can picture the environment, but the frequency at which the waves come in, you know, that's the whole rhythm, how they go in and come out. And that sets yourself up for, you know, basically being able to to be in a, I guess, calmer meditative state. So I was going to mention too, when you were to, Terry, you were leading us through a breathing exercise at the beginning. Yeah. And I didn't do, we didn't talk about the boxing thing before when I was talking to you, did we? No, I didn't I mention boxing so. to you. <laughs> no, tell me more. So this is... This is the first thing that I that I thought of, and it goes to the, this meditative state too. I've been doing boxing for a while, and it's an aggressive sport, and you're dealing with you know getting hit and getting hit back. But basically, you're dealing with a lot of chaos 
and you're and you're dealing with adrenaline dumps and it's all in the moment and sometimes those adrenaline dumps you know make you not even be able to think right you know sometimes so many people in those adrenaline dumps if you're getting hit at you close your eyes and you're you know the first instinct is to yeah i mean you're in a boxing ring so it's harder to get away but sometimes you either want out or you hope something lucky a lucky punch on your side gets in but i call it actually some form of active yoga for me and the reason why i say that is because ultimately you you end up finding out that the only way you get through all that chaos while you're going through it is to find a way to uh, to breathe really slow so like the first instinct is like you know when they teach you to box you're going you know you're breathing with every punch but when you're actually in a situation that's hard to get out of you really you start breathing slow and you start thinking about breathing in through your nose and breathing in through your mouth and all of a sudden everything slows down and you're able to like see things like things open up and it's something you have to train for but it's like a physical breathing training where even in my boxing gym now there's a there's a guy in my gym he's faster than michael phelps in the water a world record holder in the 100 meter free but he gets in a boxing ring and he can barely last one or two rounds because the anxiety kicks in. He's breathing different in a pool. He's used to holding his breath. He gets from the whole hundred meters holding his breath. But when you're in an adrenaline dump situation, you're doing things randomly. It's like chaos. You can parallel it with what people go th- you know, through in life. Maybe their day is really chaotic. They have to deal with a lot of things, too much pressure. But you don't even get a chance. You don't even have a chance of really dealing with it until you like really slow your breathing rate. And you start thinking about, oh, okay, breathe in through your nose because you are you already have stuff in there to, to filter things out so you get the best oxygen. But you're also slowing your mind down so it allows you to see the bigger picture and be able to navigate your way out. But it's still a very purposeful, you know, slowing down the frequency of your breath. And it's weird like that. I know some yoga teachers that are actually... I used to do performances with where in the class, they're like, yeah, really super calm. But I've been in rush hour with them. Mm-hmm. Too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's one of my best friends is like that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. it can be like a psych- the reason why a psychologist gets into psychology because they're, they're trying to find their yeah. own thing. They need it. They need the reminder yeah. every day. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times there's been like maybe a situation like that. We Maybe we were, were like, late for a gig because of traffic and where they didn't have the right sound system set up and like the yoga studio is just everything's like, you know, there's all this sort of business stuff that's happening. And then it takes getting to the class to be just like, okay, everybody take a really <laughs> deep breath. And, yeah. bring it in. and I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that might be helping them the most, which is yes. fine, which is totally fine. But I think one of the, one of the keys to that is when that chaos is happening outside of the yoga class, you know, where you don't have like this designated area to, to do these things, to be among the exact people you want to be around and being right with the exact music that, that you love hearing and being in that environment. Outside of that environment, you find a way, ways to deal with either the chaos or maybe it's your regular practice or something like that. But coming back to the breath, that slowing down that frequency of breathing in the same way that music, an outside source like music can do that for you is finding those ways to do that for yourself if you can. It's really hard. 
Oh my yes. The so during the pandemic, I was like I was having a little bit of depression and there was a group here in Vermont called the Red Hot Chili Dippers that would go in Lake Champlain every day wow. <laughs> in the winter. Like we come with sledgehammers and break the ice and I started doing it. What? And it was like the thing I didn't know I needed. And it reminds me of what you're saying because your initial reaction when you put your body in like freezing cold water where you could die if you stay in there for a while is to scream, to hold your breath, mm. to like go <laughs> and like panic. And so what they tell you to do is when you go in to just... Breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth and try to find calm in that crazy situation. And then it will help you in the rest of your life when you're in chaos and you're in these like crazy chaotic situations, you're able to bring that into your everyday life and your brain is stronger. You're able to kind of control your nervous system better because you were able to do it in a crazy oh. situation. <laughs> and you know, like that's what music does for yeah. us. So Charlie, Come on back, Charlie. Like, Charlie is frozen. <laughs> She has gone oh, no. into the lake. She's gone. She went. <laughs> oh, she made it back. Right. She broke through the ice. <laughs> was, I'm okay all because of my breathing. Ooh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I balanced my frequency and I am back now. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> Woo. That's awesome. Wow, what, a, what an experience. But again, that, that, like, that slowing down, I mean... You maybe there there's not any notes involved, but that's music. Music is frequency. Yeah. Well, what I realized was that during the pandemic there was no live music happening. And so I was missing that in my life. And by doing this, by going in the lake and having that like peace within everything, it kind of did what live music did for me. Uh, and it like brought wow. me back. And it really helped my mental health like a lot. Oh, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah, Ooh, I, I don't know if I can handle <laughs> the ice dogs, right? Yeah, you can do it. I hate being cold. <laughs> I like, hate it. I don't. I have more trouble actually going in the lake in like June than I do in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> and you were, were you going every week when you were doing it, or how often would you do this? I was trying to go every day. Wow. Yeah, hey, well, there was, no, there was nothing else going on. So. <laughs> it was a little easier. I didn't do so good this year. <laughs> I, I think I went like five times. Oh, wow. But same group of people, like you knew that they meet in a different place or you just found your own lake to do your own thing. <laughs> yeah, I would always go with someone. It's very dangerous yeah. to go alone. But the Red Hot Chili Dippers started as a big group and then there was all these offshoots. So now you just go with kind of whoever, like you'd be like, oh, I want to go in the lake at two. Who wants to go? And then people will. I love it. Like with live music. <laughs> like with live music. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We're so lucky that we have that. And yeah, we are actually like almost out of time. So I just wanted to ask if you have any last things or any last wisdom that you would like to impart onto our listening audience. Well, one thing that I, I used to tell uh, my students I, when I was in my 20s, I used to teach a lot of community drum classes, is that it's pretty, just from my perspective, if you can walk and you can count to four, then something that simple is the only thing that I need to know that you can create all this music for yourself, whether whether it's music that that you want to learn, if you want to understand rhythm better, and where where you can bring live music into your home and into yourself, into your daily life, that will also be that much more hyper accentuated when you go to see like a show or or you go to a festival. A lot of people used to take my classes to that would be like, oh, I don't have any rhythm. So I'm just here with my friend or something like that. 
and uh, and find that uh, along the way and the journey of being able to to be around music, whether you're learning it, doing something every day, you're making little connections between rhythm and, and melodies in, in your mind, something that you can carry with you during the day, that everyone has access to it and everyone has access to, to growing with it. As, as a side note, I would teach in, um, in Chula Vista down in near San Diego. And sometimes I would have some Latina girls, but I guess they would be maybe second grade. I teach a, like the elementary school system. And part of the thing that I would do in the class is I would have the drum up there and I would just say, tell them, you know, put your hand towards the middle of the drum to get the bass sound. And sometimes they would walk up to the drum and they'd just be like, almost like someone had said not to do that, that you can't do it. I, I know it's like really uh, hesitant and like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. In, in my wife's case, even though she did become a, a musician, she wasn't encouraged, you know, by her parents necessarily. It's like, no, don't, don't do that. Both don't do that. And you kind of can't do that. And that's not for you and stuff like that. And so it's funny when you're in a class, you know, sometimes they're embarrassed to do it in front of the other kids. And, you know, one of their parents told them or something like that. And then by doing a bunch of sessions with the class, you see people you know, loosen up. It's, it's, uh, there's, there's something about a lot of our culture, you know, that says get music out of the classrooms, <laughs> you know, because that's not real, say, education or it's not, or there's definitely something about that where it's, you know, more important to get another math class in there or something like that. But music in, in terms of healing and developing a, a thought sort of logical process and arts in general is so essential for building that kind of way that you learn. As far as I know, lots of, um, and myself included, people that are musicians, but just happen to be good with computers. There's a similar sort of logic, you know, involved. And even though music somehow gets discouraged or, or discarded, where you can only find it at a festival or, or at a show, that everyone has it within themselves to learn. And I think the thing with music, like anything else, is you just have to be around it a little bit more every day. If you have a guitar sitting around the house, just pick it up, put your fingers on the string every day. One day you're going to try another note. Or if you have a piano in the house, you're going to sit there and just hold down. If you don't know anything about the piano, sit, hold down one note and you know see a, a, if that note does anything for you. Does it, you close your eye? Do you see a color? Do you have an emotion? Now hold down two of those keys, random. Don't try to play anything. You don't have to know anything and, and let yourself be affected. How do, how do those sounds relate to even an, an emotion, something happy or sad or nothing. And just doing a little bit of something every day allows you to, to feed yourself in a way and allows you to relate that that music is always with you and it's always around you and you can encourage it to be even more of a part of yourself and it's got the healing it has healing properties in it but there's a part of it that you also have to allow it to be that versus being you know so many times music can be discarded until you get to a place where you can go do it <laughs> but i think that allowing yourself to let it be a part of you is a really beautiful feeling that you can have around whenever you want to encourage it. Yeah. And something you can bring into your everyday life where you don't have to wait for that festival or that show. Like you can really still 
feel and experience the healing power of it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for doing my homework for me because we do a section <laughs> called the Daily Jam and uh, that's a, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right on. Yay, wonderful. This conversation was so juicy and so amazing and there were so many insights and it just like, you know, the, part of the mission of this podcast is to show that music is healing and so important to our vitality and us thriving as the human race and all of this just proves that even more. So thank you so much. Right on. Thanks. You guys are doing an awesome show. Thanks for having me on it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. All right. We'll be right back. And we are back. Well, such an interesting conversation with Jason, all about the healing power of music. I know. I love that so much. There were so many parts of that that just I was like, like aha moments and me realizing things and me being inspired. And I just, I'm so in love with the concept of when somebody is mentally or physically ill, that their vibration is just not that with the community and that it's not about changing them, but meeting them where they're at and how we can all work together to get our vibe to be in sync again. And that's just like, that's it. (laughs) That's like what it's all about. (laughs) I know. And I feel like that's really what's happening at live music because just the sound waves that are coming out and hitting us all at the same time, whether we're moving in the same way or different ways, like we're all affected by that. And you know, and we've talked about this before about how we go to see music, like with the intention of like love and light. And I still, I mean, I'd love to have Trey on, but like maybe we could get Tom Marshall on <laughs> to talk about the, yeah. the kind of evolution of Fish's lyrics and how how much they're really focusing on love and light now, even with their their lyrics, not just the music that they're putting out there, but like what they're actually saying and what we're actually saying when we're all singing along to that. You know, there is, we know from the research that shows that with self-other merging, that there is this collective consciousness that gets created in a live music experience. And also we know that there are different vibrations and different emotions hold different energies and there's, we also know that there's like a tipping point where on the planet, if enough people are in that same vibration, that it can actually begin to tip people that are not even engaging in that into that vibration. Yeah. So it's like us seeing live music, we're doing our part to not only heal ourselves, but to heal the world and yes. the conscious collective of all living beings and things on this planet. And like, that's what it's all about. So you got to get your butt to as not as much because you know, it's about balance also, but get your butt to some live music experiences because if you want to do your part to heal the world. Yeah. And how can we gang together, gang together? I don't know if that's the right word, but come together, (laughs) band band together together (laughs) to get all of this happening at the same time. I mean, even if people are like at home, yeah, I don't know. My mind's just like turning of how we can make this into a bigger way and all be doing this at the same time across the globe in our own different formats. 
Yeah. Well, even with Fish, how they do couch tour and that people are streaming the shows from their couch while we're at the show at the same time. I've definitely, I've couch toured before. And although it's not as powerful as an experience as being at the show, there definitely is like the power of that. And what actually one time I did feel, I was not at a live show, but I felt that connection to all the people is when Fish released Sigma Oasis, like right when the pandemic hit. And I was like sitting at my retreat center. We had a fire burning. We were sitting by the barn and listening to it. And I can just imagine everybody else in the world that was listening to it at the same time. And I felt so connected to them and so connected to the music. Music. I connected to every word. And I mean, and that's not even like live music. That was a recorded thing. And I felt that live music experience in that moment. Yeah. I had a similar experience when Trey was doing the Beacon Jams. Yes. Oh my I gosh. Was, yes. That was like the first time that I was watching a live stream that I actually felt like I was transported to. It was like a transcendent experience. And I was, I was in my living room. Yes, me too. I had one with the Beacon Jams or a bunch of them with the Beacon Jams Mm -hmm. as well. So it's possible. It is possible. Yeah. But back to your, it's not necessarily quite the same. And, you know, I'm sure people are multitasking maybe while they're watching the stream or they're just not as present with it. So I wonder where that line is, like how engaged do you have to be to really be part of that collective consciousness? I don't know. Those are questions to yet to be answered. <laughs> yeah. And that is, we'll keep on answering them in this podcast. <laughs> At least questioning them, figuring, <laughs> trying <laughs> yeah. to just... I guess we won't have all the answers. <laughs> We're going to figure this out in this podcast. Yes, <laughs> we will. It's our mission. <laughs> yeah. It was so, so interesting to hear Jason's take and just like all of his experiences that he's had in different countries It'd be really interesting to get a sound healer to come in and just like talk about, especially a sound healer that like is specifically using sound to heal different organs or to treat different diseases. I think that would be really cool. Well, I know someone, so I'll reach out to her and maybe that will be a future episode. I like went to places that I don't even know where I went when I've had sound healings with her every single time. Yes, let's do it. I think that'd be a fascinating conversation. Yay. See, this is how things happen here on Groove Therapy Podcast. And why you got to keep listening because then you'll be like, that's how that episode happened. I think it is we're constantly like talking about things. And then we're like, who do we know that can talk about that? And we always know someone knows someone. Yeah. And then here we are. Yeah. Well, I would love to talk about something that was brought up in the episode for the... Did you know? We talk a lot about breathing in this podcast in general. And as you may notice, Tara Lee, usually it's Tara Lee that's leading you through a breathing exercise at the beginning of the podcast. And that is not just for nothing. That is actually for a reason. And I didn't mention this in the interview, but I definitely want to highlight it now you know, when we bring in that nice deep breath, especially through your nose and out through your mouth where the exhale is elongated, you have the ability to alter your nervous system and to regulate your nervous system. So what I want to explain to you is what are we talking about when I say nervous system? And specifically, I'm talking about your autonomic nervous system, which is the 
processes that work behind the scenes without you having to think about anything. So that's like your heart rate, your breathing, your blinking, your digestion, your immune system functioning, like all of the things that are working without you having to think about them. Thank goodness. (laughs) And that can be affected by... There's two branches to your autonomic nervous system. There's the sympathetic branch, which we consider like the stress response or fight or flight. And then there's the parasympathetic branch, which is your relaxation response or your rest and digest is what it is called. And the way that I like to teach these when I'm teaching my patients is that they're like a seesaw. So if you imagine a seesaw in your mind, it's like a flat board, right? And it goes up and it goes down depending on the weight on each side. Well, they can both never be revving at the same speed at the same time. And they can both never be turned off in the same way at the same time because the seesaw does not bend like that. So typically when your sympathetic branch is turned on, which is how most of us live our life, we're kind of in that chronic stress response. That means that your relaxation response is just as low. So if you imagine the seesaw, your sympathetic branch up, your parasympathetic branch is down. Well, the best way to turn down that stress response is to just simply turn on your relaxation response so that the stress response will automatically, because always in relation to your other side, go down. One of the quickest and easiest ways to do that is through your breath because you always have your breath. You never have to remember to bring anything with you. You don't have to buy any fancy equipment. And when you breathe out of your mouth longer than your inhale, you are stimulating your vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve in your parasympathetic nervous system. And it will begin to calm you down. And you can notice that just by taking three to five really simple deep breaths in through your nose, let's say for a count of three or four and out through your mouth for a count of five to six to seven, depending on how deeply you already breathe. Wonderful. That, I mean, every time I do this, like I could be freaking out and panicking about something and I'm like, wait, I just need to stop, put my hands on my heart and take three deep breaths and through my nose, out through my mouth. And it does, it changes everything. We do it with all of our guests. And a lot of times when people show up, you know, life is busy and things are moving so fast. And it's hard to be really present and open to allow whatever needs to come through through if you're in that like super active space. So we always do this with all of the guests and it, it always changes their demeanor completely. Absolutely. And actually, that's another point to bring in. So Jason mentioned that it's hard to kind of like think clearly and strategically when you're activated. And that's because we actually lose access to our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that was developed last and really what makes us humans. And we get pulled into more of our like mammalian or reptilian, I mean, brain where it's like we're driven by raw emotion We just can't think clearly. So taking a couple of breaths, that's why if you're in a heated argument or something really traumatic or stressful just happened to you, if you take take the time to take a couple of deep breaths, you can typically bring yourself back online where you can think more clearly. Yeah, it's such a great tool. And I love how you're like, you know, it doesn't cost any money. You have it with you at all times. And... I mean, that's what it's all about. So thank you so much for sharing of like, I always knew it was important and now I know why. My pleasure.
All right. So now I'm going to share something that Jason Hahn talked about um, in his interview, and we are going to put it into play for this week's Daily Jam. So Jason talked about how you can, you know, play some notes on a piano and see how those sounds kind of affect you? Does it have some sort of impact? Is it bringing up a memory? Is it bringing up a feeling? Is it is it triggering you to do a dance? Like what whatever happens when you do that. So there is a way that you can do this. If you don't have any instruments in your home, you can Google online piano keyboard. And there is a ton of websites that have free piano keyboards. And so you can go there and then hit a note and just see what emotion is triggered, what feeling is triggered, just whatever comes up. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's something profound. Maybe it's something simple. Like, Don't judge it, but just be in the moment and see what happens. Hit a note here, hit a note there, hit two at the same time and just bear witness to whatever wants to happen in that musical experience for you. Cool. And then let us know in our Facebook group, the Groove Therapy Podcast community. Tell us how it went. We'd love to hear. Yeah, we want to hear. Because like what happens for me is going to be different than what happens to Yulia and what it's different for what happened to Jason and it's different for what happens to all of you out there. And it's going to be different in this moment and that moment and this other moment <laughs> too. So also it'd be really interesting, you know, if you do it in the morning, like what comes up if you do it at night? What comes up if you're sad? How does that occur to you? If you're really happy and having the greatest day ever, how does that occur to you? And I would love to hear like what comes up based on where you're at and how you're feeling in life too. That'd be super interesting. Yeah, I love that. Well, I think that's it for now. Anything else that you'd like to share, Tara Lee? No, I feel very complete. Awesome. I feel complete as well. (laughs) All right. Well, let's send our audience out to have adventures of their own and hopefully a really wonderful and great day. We're sending you lots of love. Yes, we are. And we'll catch you next time. All right, everyone. We love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We so appreciate you. And if you did love this episode, we would love it so much if you could share it with at least one friend that you think might love it as well. So just send it over to them. Let them know what you loved about it. It could just be like, hey, check this out or one word about how it inspired you. Also, wherever you are listening to your podcast, if you could just click that follow button right there, that would be super awesome. That helps to let the platform know that this is a podcast worth listening to. And also, if you are listening on Apple Pod, if you could not only follow us, but also leave a rating or a review, it would mean so much to us. That, again, is how more people are going to be able to find out about this podcast and really start to open their mind about the intersection between health and wellness and live music and why this experience is so important for our health and our well-being and our longevity. So again, thank you so much for listening. We are a part of Osiris Pod. You can find many more inspiring arts and music podcasts at osirispod.com. And if you would like to follow me, Leah, or Tara Lee, you can find us on Instagram. Tara Lee is at Rocking Life with two underscores, and I am at Dr. Leah Taylor. 
So come follow us there. We love you so much. And thank you again for listening.